hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer and Bee Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what are we discussing today? Today, we're going to discuss 1963's Johnny Cool, directed by William Asher. Michael, what are we going to be drinking? We are drinking El Jefe. It's an American wheat with peppers, several kinds of peppers, ranging from very spicy to bell. It's from Banger Brewing out of Las Vegas, and this was your beer, Jason. My wife and myself were in Vegas. We were in downtown on Fremont Street. The brewery was open. We walked in. It looked like they had some really great beers. I ordered a couple. I thought for Johnny Cool being shot in Vegas, this was a great beer. This, it's got that light, weedy body and flavor. It's a great color. Cheers. And boy, as soon as you hold it up to your nose, it's straight on pepper. Oh, yeah. You, that, so nice. It, it, it is. And you would think that that might be overwhelming, but it is a nice pepper taste. It's refreshing. It's, exactly. There's a little heat at the end, but it's not so much... Like I said before when we were first trying this, for me, fried fish tacos and this all day long. And it's spicy, and Elizabeth Montgomery's in this movie, and she's a spicy dish. Oh, she is. She's she a is. childhood crush from Bewitched. <laughs> yeah, they, so they did a, a great beer. I, I really enjoy this. And I think the next time we go to Las Vegas, we'll stop in there and... Let me know, because I probably want something brought back. Why is this a B movie? I've never heard of this movie. I looked it up. It's a genre pick, kind of noirish crime. It had a budget of half a million, and in 1963, that's a pretty low budget for a major movie. It was done by a Chris Law Productions, not a main production place. It was in black and white, so it, it fit kind of that B movie definitions. It's got a lot of familiar faces. Absolutely, that some weren't probably as familiar then. Looking back now, this is almost like an all-star cast. Because you got Henry Silva, Telly Savalas, Elisha Cook Jr. Real quick, Elisha Cook Jr. played bad guy's right-hand man in a lot of film noir. And he was always getting his butt kicked. <laughs> like Humphrey Bogart, I think, beat him up in uh, the Maltese, Maltese Falcon. Falcon. And in this movie, he kind of gets his revenge on the yeah. film <laughs> film world. Um, there's a weird Rat Pack connection yeah please. sammy davis jr joey bishop doing his joey bishop thing <laughs> jim backus you know mr magoo thurston Howells in it it has just a slew of people you're like oh i know that person i know that person so i watched it on amazon prime it's based on a book called the kingdom of johnny cool by john mcpartland and he wrote a bunch of pulp novels during that period i haven't read the book i might look at the book now the book was published in 1959 it's an interesting story I mean, it takes us from World War II, Sicily, 1943, I yep. think we open. Nazis chasing a woman down in like a hilltop. It looks pretty clear that they're going to rape her. And then we're introduced to her son, Johnny, who's a pretty quick little guy because he runs <laughs> up to the Nazi and yoink, pulls the pin on a grenade on his belt and him and his mom get away. That's the opening. I think we also need to mention that the music score for this is completely that loungy 60s Sammy Kahn. The Ballad of Johnny Cool is written by Sammy Kahn, who's a legend. He was an Oscar winner. He wrote All the Way, Love and Marriage, High Hopes. 
I think this is one of his weaker efforts. The Ballad of Johnny Cook. It's like he sat down and he's like, what rhymes with cool? Hey, he's not a fool. You know? It's like, I mean, it was... Eh. And Sammy Davis Jr. sang it. Yes, and Sammy Davis Jr. is in it. Yes. Is in it. You know? And he said, another, there's a second song we'll get to, but he did not write that. But yeah, there's there's that. There's a, the Johnny Cool theme. There's all that loungy Vegas stuff. Yeah. Um, tight suits, you know, small ties. Uh, back, yeah, back when you wore a suit everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> you wore a suit to the dentist, you know. <laughs> now you go to Vegas and it's like you're in shorts and a t-shirt. Back then you would have been thrown out, roughly. <laughs> <laughs> and, different times. Yeah, different times. And so you're right. So it starts in 1943 in Sicily. We meet who's going to become Johnny Cool. Very brutal beginning of the movie. And I believe at that time... The Allies had initiated this huge airborne amphibious campaign that took six weeks, and they started in Sicily. The Sicily campaign started in July of 43 to August of 43. Giordano, who is this young man, he joins with this, you could say these resistance of Salvatore Giuliano. That is actually a true historical figure. He was a kind of resistance fighter. You could go link it out into our notes. But he did actually fight there. He did cause some problems. I think they based not only the person that Giordano joins as a young boy, but I think they based even his character before he becomes Johnny Cool on that that character. So we see this young boy. He, he picks up a gun after this violent confrontation where his... Just mo- watch his mom get murdered. Yeah, exactly. He joins the resistance and he holds up a gun. He's like, this is my family now. The and the point, kid proved himself. He yeah. just blew up a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then we jump, and I think it's like the end of the 50s. We have Richard Anderson, a.k.a. Oscar from Six Million Dollar Man. I think he's a reporter. He's at a wedding and yeah. he wants to get a picture of this Giordano. Yeah. And the guy's like, hey, you probably don't want to do that, you know, because he's, he's a a Robin Hood figure. And Giordano is the best man at the wedding. He's very beloved. Supposedly steals from the rich and gives to the poor. And it's Henry Silva plays Giordano. He has <laughs> these great sunglasses. He wears his jacket, not on, but like kind of draped over Almost like, like a, a cape. Yeah, yeah, a cape. His Italian accent, it's a little off. I'll say it's better than mine. That's a low bar. I kept trying to figure out, was it a fake beard or was it a real beard? If it was a real beard, it was a poor effort. Everything's going pretty cool at this wedding until it doesn't go cool. And it doesn't go cool really, really quick. Because the army comes crashing and his his men say, hey, Giordano, we need to beat it. Okay, they run out of the village. Next thing, they're on a hilltop with zero cover. Yes. <laughs> I mean... These are really, these bandits make some questionable decisions because they run out into the wide open space where they can be shot from a chopper. The, the general, Senor Virgo, we later on, was like pulling out like the window trying to shoot at him from the I, air. I've honestly never had the experience of trying to kill someone from a helicopter. and I'm, I'm cool with that, but you know, I, I think there would be other ways to do it because they shoot him. I'm going to tell you right now, I really like this movie, but this little scene here was a little problematic for me. Because they, they shoot him, they land, Virgo is yeah. his name, goes over and says, hey, this is this is Giordano, and boom, shoots him in the head. He's dead. But wait. <laughs> a shirtless guy climbs out of a helicopter and he's got a beard and he's got a he's got a striking resemblance to one Giordano. This poor guy <laughs> He doesn't seem to know what's up. I don't no. know if they told him we're going to go get some sandwiches or what, <laughs> but he walks over and the next thing they kill him <laughs> and they 
put Giordano's shirt on him. That's why he was shirtless. And so Giordano's not dead. But how did they do this? I don't know. I mean, it looked like he was dead. Shot like point blank in the head. Yeah, I mean, you don't see it. If you shot blanks from a helicopter, I wouldn't fall down. And then we jump (laughs) to the mansion of Johnny Collini, and Giordano's alive. And and Johnny Collini wanted this to happen. He's got connections to the army, powerful enough that he can say. Go get me this bandit. Pretend to kill him and then kill someone else. Yes. <laughs> Cover it up. We want him to be dead. Collini has brought him there because Collini is like your kind of old school New York mobster guy. He's all like, hey. He's, he's up on his second floor balcony kind of looking down saying, I'm Collini. And he's like, what do they say about me? And, and Johnny Giordano knows him, but he doesn't like him. This is an interesting point because Collini wants vengeance. He has been exiled by the mob, the syndicate. Let's not call it mob. Let's use it the syndicate. Okay, syndicate, because I think I would call him the commission. Yeah. We'll call him the syndicate. Because I think the FBI later on in the movie mentions the syndicate. The, Here's yes. all the legit business. The, the syndicate is a group of gangsters, I'm yes. assuming, that, that we'll get to. But they exiled, which isn't kind of what the mob does. They exiled Johnny Collini to Rome. And he's living a pretty good life. Yes. He's got ladies coming, different ladies coming every day to visit him. And he's got a swinging villa. I guess vengeance is vengeance, but I mean, this is not a bad exile. And he is going to use Giordano, send him back to America, and take vengeance on on these people exiled. The actor who played Collini, Mark Lawrence, once again, one of these actors you recognize, look at his IMDb page, Tons of movies. He he was brought up during the House of Un-American Activities Committee, and he admitted that he was a member of the Communist Party at the time, and he did provide names, and he was blacklisted. He came back after that period, continued acting his entire career. I think he passed away in Palm Springs. He's got a long game plan, yeah. because he wants Giordano to basically become his son, and Giordano's reluctant at first. It's Pygmalion. I'm going to turn you into somebody I can send back to the United States and you'll know everything, scare the crap out of my enemies, and then kill them. There's a lot of like schemes, very, very complicated schemes in this movie. This is just one of them. Does he want him to completely change? No. Giordano has a very specific kind of violence. Yeah. He just wants the veneer <laughs> yes. to it, change. And he shows a bit of decency. Yeah. And, and Colini laughs at him. He's like, you have some decency <laughs> in you. We got to get that out. He only wants the ruthless killer. And he wants to polish that up. We don't get a montage of him going through like, <laughs> the <laughs> rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. You know, we don't get the Eliza Doolittle part. We flash forward. I can assume it might have been two years because later on when Johnny Cool is having a conversation with Dare Guinness, Elizabeth Montgomery, he does reference, well, I studied in Rome for two years. Yes, so that's, he does. So you mean to tell me in two years, <laughs> Collini couldn't have found somebody to kill some dudes, some middle-aged dudes back in the state? I did do a deep dive and I just want to point out, like, part of this movie can be analyzed in terms of Johnny Collini. We're gonna call we're gonna call Henry Silva characters Johnny Cool, not to be confused with the original Collini. Collini, yeah, yeah. is the and original. You can look at this as where there was a time and place where society needed people like Johnny Cool, violent men to go to war, and now society has become civilized, and you can see that not necessarily how this movie ends. Do you really need those type of people anymore? And I'm not really articulating very well because I already had 
one of the drinks, and we're not a film theory class. Yeah. But the other one I did a deep dive to is I thought there was a really a religious aspect, particularly some of the dialogue. Johnny Collini, Johnny Cool, JC, the main antagonist who leads the syndicate in America. His name is Vincent Santangelo. And you can take that name. It's almost like Satan. When the original Collini is talking to Giordano in Italy, he is saying stuff that sounds very much like an Old Testament God, like, you must go and seek vengeance. I will give you my kingdom afterwards. Could be onto something, especially if I, I, my guess would be the book. The yeah. author might have intended that in the book more. Yeah. We all bring something to the table. So. so you're right. We're in New York now. He has no trace of an Italian accent. No. The Eliza Doolittling worked. He goes into a bar. He catches the eye of uh, Elizabeth Montgomery. Her name is Dare Guinness. She's with an older man. I know you probably noticed it. And he's very much older than her. And then we meet her friend Susie later, her husband Bill, very much older than her. So, So, but Johnny just arrived. He wants to get a drink. And you, I think, were making a note. He's not one of those I'm a martini guy. Johnny likes likes to move around his drinks. The first drink he orders is a sidecar with imported brandy and make it half sour. I don't know what a sidecar is. Like, you is didn't that... look it up? I did not oh. look it up. <laughs> but I thought maybe you might know what a sidecar is. I can't tell you. I can't. But It's he... one of many drinks he orders in this, in this movie. That scene where him and Dare make eye contact. Is that like the meet cute scene? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, she's with a drunk old guy. And Henry Silva, I mean, whatever your taste is, he yeah. comes in, he's got style, he's got yeah. presence. We find out that she's sort of like a wasp. I would, yeah. you know, grew up in a life of privilege. And she sees this, you know, Sicilian. He's a bad boy. He's looking for action. At he, the he, literally. Yeah, he's, like, he's, like, he just sits at the bar and these two hoods are next to him. Yes. He's looking at him in the mirror behind yeah. the bar. And the one, of course, these gangsters are going to be yeah. like, what are you looking at? He's like, I'm not looking at him. I'm looking for the action. I heard you know it. These are syndicate goons. Cromline and Jerry March. Yeah. The Jerry March. He presses the issue with Cromline. And Cromline and him come to blows. And he karate chops him and like, ah. And March takes Cromline away and the bartender gives him his drink. He's like, hey, you better drink this. It might be the last one. And then March comes back and he's like, hey, you know, who do you know in Chicago? And he goes, Russ, Frank, Vito. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) This proves his bona fides. March is like, whoa, <laughs> hey, you do know guys. Because there's only one Russ, Frank, and Beto in the city of Chicago. And March is like, hey, you do know some stuff. And that's when he mentions Johnny Cool. He, may, he brings up the name. His name is Johnny cool. cool. Or Johnny Collini. Yeah. He does say it. And they're like, well, you don't say that name yeah. around these parts. Yeah. Part of that scene, one is, of course, it's that first introduction of Dare Guinness. Elizabeth Montgomery. And for those of you who don't know, a year after this movie, she played Samantha Stevens in the whole run of Bewitched from 64 to 72. And she was married at this time to the director of this movie, William Asher. I had such a crush on her when I was a kid. She's adorable. And their dialogue, she comes up and he's like, hey, you look like you enjoyed watching it. He is here on business. He is not here to have romantic entanglements. He is on a mission of vengeance. And he's like, honey... I'm not buying. And she's like, you couldn't. <laughs> oh, no. It's it, it's great noir type dialogue. Yeah. That real quick like patter back and forth. Classic kind of quippy. Oh, everybody wants to be able to have a line like this. Exactly. And so she's very flirtatious with him. 
he mentions uh, the track. Um, he's, he'll be at the track the next day. Also, that scene, these syndicate goons sitting at the bar, they were easily taken down by a man of violence like Johnny Collini, where they are not this type of violent man, where he's able to come in and just easily take two of them down really quickly. That used to be how it worked. Now and, it's more hostile takeovers. But as Karai Chop, <laughs> I always wanted him every single time he did that move to like actually yell out like Karai Chop, <laughs> because it, it really is. I, I never knew that just like it, because it's like he hits him in the shoulder yeah. blades, like on yeah. the back. Before we get to the track, Cromwell and and March go and mince and meet Vinso, Vincenzo Vince Santangelo, played by the great Telly Savalas, and he does some great Savalas. Telly Savalas. Was one of those guys he would he would be talking he would be talking and then all of a sudden he'd start yeah just explode like in the middle of a sentence he'd be like I'm tired of this it was great t- classic Sabalas and he's doing it to this guy because Cromline the guy who got karate yeah. chopped he's like ah, I want another crack at this yeah. Johnny Collini and and Santangelo's like and he said nothing should happen in public and when trouble happens you should walk away and no gangster movie exactly <laughs> basically turn the other cheek you never saw that in Goodfellas. His office is in a the top floor, a very modernist office of the 60s. It looks like a complete legitimate corporate office. Not the back of a restaurant. No. I'm going to be a little literary here for a second. <laughs> Brave New World, when Alice Huxley wrote that, he wrote about this wild man who was pulled into this completely bland society, completely planned. At the end, the wild man couldn't survive it. He committed suicide at the end. And so, I mean, I, I looked at this movie, which is... Far deeper than this movie needs to be. Telly Savalas played Kojak. But he was also another member of this cast who fought in World War II. During this time period, a lot of these yeah. people are going to have, have served, served in the armed service and everything. But he wants this guy followed. And I'll tell you, these guys really can gather a lot of information in a short amount of time. We go to the track and Johnny shows up throwing money around, making it very obvious he's got a lot of money. He was at the... Was it the hundred dollar hundred dollar bill? Even today, I'm not going to no hundred dollar no. <laughs> window. And guess who shows up at the track? Little stalker, Derek Guinness is there, and he buys our drink. Drink number two, whiskey and water. That's a good sensible track. Okay, drink. I would think. Why not? You know, maybe the sidecar. I'd probably go with a beer. Half sour. Yeah, yeah like I a mean, beer like this. Exactly. Which is, I mean, this is going down way too smooth. Yeah. His horse wins. Of course, um, it wins. You know, Johnny is. Fairly lucky throughout this whole movie until the very end. Yeah. Boy. Luck goes south. What I found kind of interesting here is they send March to follow him. I thought, you know, they wouldn't want somebody he wouldn't recognize. I did like when they called in, They were call- someone was calling in to report on Johnny. Yeah. They had this line. I, I just like it. Everybody remembers him, but nobody knows him. Sounds a very religious, biblical line. It's it's not there, but it sounds very like, you know, that this is, you know, this either this angel of vengeance or this angel of death that has come upon us, you know. <laughs> but at the track, Dare kind of really wants to get to know him. He asks her why they're drinking their whiskey and water. What do you do for kicks? And she's like, there hasn't been any since last night. So you can tell that that fight really energized her. 
followed him to the track. She's very forward. And they have that quippy dialogue where he said, she's like, what do you do? And he's like, I do my best. Like that dialogue that you think you want to have in real life that never happens. Yeah. No one speaks that way. This is polished script where people are like, oh, that's a great law. I know. It's like you're never going to have that, a chance to use that. And if you do, people are going to call you pretentious. Exactly. You know? And she does mention once again, you know, all men look like men, but so few are. And once again, recognizing that he is this type of man that is no longer there. The majority of men are not like this. They the man's this, man. Yeah, this you know? violent, I'm going to take and do as I wish. But... I don't walk away from trouble. Exactly. Whereas the other guys, the other bad guys in this movie are the ones, hey, if there's trouble, walk away. This guy goes towards the fight. That's what she thinks she wants right now. And she's like, I want a little danger. And this brings up an idea that you had mentioned the first time you watched this. It's about class. Dare gives her background. You know, she went to finishing schools and yes. riding schools, and she's just been divorced for one year from a man very much like herself. You'll see that both this legit syndicate, you know, these are men of power and of wealth, even Kalini back in Rome, and her on this side, where they all could go back to their own safe status, regardless of what happens. They have that option. But Johnny doesn't. He is separate, and they could look down. And that's why, like, that first scene you point out when Kalini's looking down on them, he is a peasant from the hills of Sicily. Actually, it's it's interesting because they, they actually made it so there's no way for him to go back. Because yeah. when Kalini brings him, first he's like, he says, I'm not going to work for you. Yeah. And Kalini says, you go back out in the street, you're dead within an hour. Everyone thinks you're dead. And if you show your face, you will be dead. So they've, they've actually made it. They've taken him from his world and made it so he can't go back. Whereas she comes into his world and is kind of like, I like this danger yeah. until she doesn't. She can always go back. She can step in. She can basically vacation in slums yeah. and then go back. Okay, so they're done at the track. They go back to Dare's room. And right when they open the door, the phone starts ringing and she answers it. And mind you, they've just met in like the last 24 hours. She answers the phone. It's for him. And it's it's the syndicate. And they're like, you know, hey, you want to get together? Johnny goes, yeah, I, I do. He bails. There's two reasons they want. They want to get more on him, but they're also, they got a plan for her. Yeah. They have a lot of power because yeah. they've a been able to track her and know when he's going to be at her apartment. And they're able to track her, but for some reason they can't track him. Yes, and they can't figure out that he doesn't have an army. Yeah. He keeps start. He'll start going around telling them, "I have an army of men, and I'm going to take over." And they can't figure out that he doesn't have an army of men, but they were able to find him at her and place. call her right when they enter the apartment. Like yes. someone was waiting on the phone, like like they had binoculars across the way, and they're like, "They're entering the room. Call it now!" Like it's like the they, old rotary they, dial. they dialed all but one number, and then just waited. You know, like we get to the worst gun check ever. Johnny's showing up. There's a illegal back room of uh, gambling. And the guy's like, whoa, got to check you for a gun. He's like, sure, go ahead. I got nothing. It's almost like if Howie Mandel was your pat-down guy. He's like, ah, I can barely touch you. And he's like, go on in. It was so bad we both noticed it. And I'm like, boy, the, the mob in this movie, they sure have a low bar. Yes. So, <laughs> I'm sure they were probably the harshest critics of this movie. Like, that's not how we work <laughs> So it is, it's a craps game going on, which we neither of us know much about craps. There's a lot of lingo being thrown around. And Rat Pack Alert, the great Sammy Davis Jr. is there with an eye patch. Yeah, and he plays a man referred to as educated. It's a great name. And he's just sitting there being all cool. He's exactly. just being Sammy Davis Jr. cool. So yeah, Johnny, again, big money. He just starts throwing thousands those are real thousand dollar bills they stop you think you wrote it down they yeah. stopped making them in like the 50s 
Yeah, I, they used to use them, and they recalled them. They stopped making them in 46, and then they, they were still in circulation, and they pulled them all from circulation by 69. This tense crap game. We're going back and forth between this and another scene. You know, while he's he's playing the craps, they send a couple of goons to her apartment. Pose as cops. They start peppering her with questions about Johnny. And, you know, she doesn't know she just met the guy. This is another thing they couldn't figure out. Is that they just met. They don't know each other. She really can't give them any information. So they call in and they're like, hey, she, we, she doesn't know nothing. And they're like, well, get a little rougher. Leave her something to remember you by. And the guy goes, oh, it'll be my pleasure. It's icky. You know, it it's the thing is, I mean, you can go, you know, you can, you can watch uh, Last House on the Left yeah. and it's a very graphic. Why this, th- these two guys raped there. Yeah. And you don't see it. No. But it's all implied. And it's just the way they discuss it. It's awful. Yeah. And it does, it sinks your stomach and everything. So Johnny is back at the craps game. They, Apparently he's is he losing? I didn't I understand. I, I don't know what the fuck. He craps. just keeps throwing money and <laughs> yeah. he's got money. I think he's doing well. For, I, their motivation, their motives are so weird. I'm like, why don't you just kill the guy? Yeah. You, you think you took his gun. You can't be sure because the guy didn't really check him well. But why don't you just kill him? Because at, at one point he it. was down to six thousand, and also the pool's back at twenty four thousand. He's supposed to roll the dice now, and they're yes. like, no, 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 educated's going to roll the dice. And this guy can roll some dice yeah. like he can literally at times he's like i'm gonna roll two fives boom and he rolls two, two fives. fives so and i i couldn't tell if they were implying that the dice were loaded or something so johnny cool he, he ends up pulling a gun that was in his coat arm which that the guy who pat him down did it like didn't check the, yeah then you wouldn't have anything <laughs> there pulls the gun because they he thinks they're gonna do something to him and they have educated, he starts rolling the dice, and Johnny's like, roll seven, roll yeah. two fives. And he points like, a gun at, jo- at, at educated's head. And, and this poor like, guy comes out of nowhere, he's just, and Johnny Cool, he's like stuck between his bosses, yeah. I guess, or the mobster, and Johnny Cool, he's like, and so he keeps rolling, and Johnny keeps winning. And then he's like, now I'm leaving, and he yeah. takes a bunch of money, gives a bunch to educated, and bails on the craps game. And that that when he departs, it is it was a little silly scene because he's trying to keep the gun on the craps table, but it looks like he almost tippy toes like shimmy shammy. It's like off the screen. I think he does. <laughs> I, he really does. So you do get the real impression that things are gonna go very bad for educated. And I'm like, what did he do? He had a gun to his head. Johnny goes back to Dares and finds that she's been raped. But before he goes back, as he's walking out those goons come in Ugh. and he overhears their conversation. And the guy says, I wrote it down. I can think of worse ways to spend the night. And you just see Johnny's shadow on the wall. Once again, as if he's like a spirit or avenging angel. And then he goes back to dares. He does. Yep. And that's when he finds her. But just that one. I can think of worse ways. Yeah. The, you just gang raped a woman. I, mean, I don't know how that's. I'm like, why did you, why'd you put that in the movie? Yeah. That's That's gross. He goes back, and as the man of violence, like the first thing, he's not, hey, can I help you? What can yeah. I do for you? She's been raped, and he leaves her. Grabs a knife. Grabs from, a knife. Which he's really specific <laughs> about. He's like, He takes the knife, and he's like, going to go back and get some vengeance. Finds them. He kills them, and I'm thinking like he mutilated their genitals or something, because they keep talking about they're marked. Yeah. They were marked. as in its old world. Yeah, it's like an like old biblical world. old like you know marked them in the old world way. So I'm assuming like what they did with rapists or yeah. like the thief, you yeah. know, they'll cut your hand off. Thing and he did something like that. And he's cool. a good Samaritan because when he leaves, he takes that. It's one of these funny 
little points they put in the movie. When he's walking out, he wraps up the knife and he throws it in a trash can, which has a big sign that says, like, please don't litter in New York. Vince now wants to meet Johnny Cole. He thinks that Johnny has this big army, which he doesn't. So this is when we kind of find out what Johnny's plan is. Because yeah. he meets Santangelo and he's, he's, he's like, I'm here for all of it. And, and Santangelo doesn't know what, he, what he's talking about. He says, I'm here for all of it. I want the legit stocks. Yeah. I want all of this. You have 20. That's the 24, 24 hours. hours. You get 24 hours. hours. And, he's, and Santangelo is almost laughing, saying, I could have you killed in this room right now. Why doesn't he? I don't know. And that's again. And this also is the point where the movie kicks in where it's Johnny's finally going to begin his plan. Like this was all like just play settings so people would know his name and that he was around here. But now like this is the point I'm going to start after this meeting because you have 24 hours. And he's, and, it, and he starts to, this is when he really starts dropping the army. I've yeah. got an army of people. But don't, he gives him 24 hours, him. but he, he starts killing people right away. <laughs> just want to point that out. Like, <laughs> he can't even keep it to his own deal. The next thing we know is that she's out in L.A. buying a used car from Joey Bishop. Yep, he, he was sort of like a, the sidekick. He was a stand-up comedian. He was just sort of like a smart, smart-alecky kind of guy. He's a, literally a used car salesman, and he's filming a commercial when we meet him. And he tries to hit on Dare. Yes, it's we, a it's a comic interlude for him. Oh, you know what? And and hey, I can't blame him. He says, you know, is there anything else to help? And she's like, can you tell me where the Beverly Hilton or something is? And, and he goes, so is that where you're staying? Huh? huh? <laughs> I know like, exactly. And she, you know what? I can't blame him. If I she if, gives him the best look, like oh, you know what? You're so out of my league. Like yeah, why are you even you trying? You are Joey Bishop. <laughs> yeah. Get away from me. But I mean, if I was a single guy selling yeah. her a car, I I would be trying to get her number. Yeah. It's funny because Joey Bishop, I know Regis Philbin has passed away, but I think our generation at least knows Regis Philbin. But Regis Philbin got his start as being his young sidekick on a late night um, show on ABC. Really? Yeah. I did not know yeah. that. And the sign in the background that used car lot, just a point time, 31 cents for a gallon of gas. I noticed that. I noticed that too. <laughs> One of the viewings, I just went 31 cents. I'm like, wow. Cheers again. Cheers this again. This beer is... just has a very different taste like i have not experienced that in a beer before what i like is sometimes you get these when they add things fruits yeah. or vegetables to beers it almost tastes artificial this really tastes a bushel yeah. of peppers and banger brewing yeah. do you know what the banger is that like do you know no, I, I i know that when they like reopen back up they give like brewery tours are right down downtown Las Vegas or right on the Fremont Street. We had eaten at a place called the Heart Attack Grill right next door. <laughs> and we walked over and they were super nice. It's during COVID. We walk in. I've never had this happen, but my mask snapped. And she saw that as I was trying to figure out what to do. And she came and she brought me a mask. Oh, that you was, know? that's nice. I mean, just super nice. And Vegas, I'm a fan of the beer. Hospitality. Yeah, exactly. I'd be, I'd be really interested to know what, what else they do? Because we'll, we'll have to pull out a couple more. I, mean, I, I bought some. <laughs> because if this is any indication, this the El Jefe, that's it, right? Yeah. El Jefe. I will say this. If you don't like peppers, this isn't going to change your mind because this thing is just beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful pepper flavor. Yeah. I mean, I, and I there's just a little bit of spice. So, like, don't... I think habaneros are in there. So don't be too discouraged yeah. if you see it because it's not overwhelming. They aren't trying to burn your mouth. Exactly. It adds to it. Cheers again. Cheers again. Thank you. Good good pick. So yeah, the scheme. And let me tell you, they overthink things. I'm not I'm not a gangster, but killing people should not be this complicated. Cuz victim number 1 is Louis 
Murphy. Jim Backus. <laughs> Lovey. Oh, dude, terrible Jim Backus. He, he's probably best known now for being the rich guy on Gilligan's Island. Thurston Howell the Third, or Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo. And he is so Jim Backus in this. He's got one of those, oh, yeah. such, such a specific voice, and he's just hamming it up. He's... Uh, He's a developer. He's in construction, and he's greasing palms. He's corrupt. City council members. Yeah. So they, the councilmen leave, and he tells his his secretary, like, yeah, he's that guy would not get elected without me. And secretary and slash that. lover. Yes, there's something going on there that's yeah. more than just working relationship. Yeah, because he keeps referring to his wife, and that's not clearly not his wife, but clearly he's hugging and kissing her right before the scene. Oh, yeah, and he's not the only man who's just like openly ready and willing to cheat on his wife. It's a there's no real good per- man man in this movie. The only good person, maybe to me, would be the the Morrow guy, Ben Morrow, almost this angelic character. And Johnny Collini. And let's not forget, I mean, he's just going around murdering people. Yes. It's not like, you know, it's his vengeance. Yeah. He's just murdering people that yeah. have done nothing to him. Yeah. And he was actually, he was ready and willing to blow up some kids. I mean, yeah, we'll get to that. So, yeah. so Lewis Murphy is a very convoluted plot dealing with making an attache with the same monogram. <laughs> and then meeting him in the bar. Johnny Cole, drink number three, Martini. Uh, Murphy's sitting at the bar getting getting his drink on. And Johnny sits next to him, sets his briefcase down. Identical briefcase. Here's a question. How did he know? Yeah. How did he know <laughs> exactly. what the briefcase was? He got an identical <laughs> briefcase. Like, is that what Collini taught him over the years? He's like, Lewis Murphy has a... <laughs> Our briefcase 101. These are all the attaches. I need you to learn all the manners of them. <laughs> really convoluted because what does he eventually do? He tracks down Murphy in a crowd in a train station, a bustling train station. He goes, oh, hey, you grabbed my briefcase by mistake. And Murphy's like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, I didn't. And he just opens the briefcase, shoots him, yeah. murders him right there in a huge crowd. Made no sense to no. go through the whole thing of getting the identical briefcase when he could have just walked up and, and shot and him. Shot him. <laughs> like he didn't have to say anything to him. And that's not the only scheme that's just like, why are you guys going through all of this? Murphy's character, Jim Backus, every transition when he's in those couple scenes, when it's transitioned out, <laughs> you hear him do a Mr. Magoo joke in the background. It, it's really silly. <laughs> it is. We get into more complicated stuff because Virgo, the, the soldier who faked Giordano's death, yeah. he's brought to New York by the syndicate. And at first, he's the good soldier. He keeps his mouth shut. They're like, what's going on? They're trying to figure out. They know what's going on, but yeah. they keep trying to find yeah. out what they know. It is a little convoluted. He does reveal that Kalini takes vitamins and hormone shots and has young women over every day because he's trying to maintain this appearance of youth. These older men trying to last longer. It's not about the this old time where you didn't care about your looks or your appearance, you know? Vanity. Vanity. And you see that same thing with Dare, her group of people in Newport Beach. Younger woman, predominantly older set crowd. All these men could be their fathers. Yes. It's, it's really strange. Odd. Yeah. I mean, I think it's this whole issue of like, 
this type of man like Johnny Cool who doesn't exist anymore. And actually, at the end, we'll see, doesn't really have a place in modern society. And the syndicate on both sides of the Atlantic are slowly shifting in that way. And men, even on the West Coast, are shifting that way, where it's about a vanity and appearance and we'll do things through contract law. And... It's kind of like The Godfather Part Two ten years before. Because in The Godfather yeah. Part Two is when Michael says, we need to get out of all the bad all stuff. The crime, we need yeah. to start going legit. Because we then, jump into victim number two and victim number three now. Obi Hines, who you did you write down the actor's name? Yeah, John McGiver. And he was one of these actors, his face, you would know, recognize yeah. it. Fought in the military during World War II. He was in the, I think, the Battle of the Bulge. He has made three movies that the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress has said that these are culturally and historically important. So he was in Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Manchurian Candidate, and Midnight Cowboy. And then there was uh, Mort Saul, who plays Ben Morrow, and he was one of these American comedian political satirists. He, you know, had this huge career, and I think, you know, I was reading about him on Wikipedia and some other sources. He, his career got a little sidetracked because he ended up really focusing and becoming involved in the JFK, JFK assassination, and a lot of his comedy would be talking about the war report. And people were just kind of turned off by that. They didn't want to hear about that, that time period. I can't imagine why. And so, Obi Hines runs a casino. Yes. But we see that he is a pretty despicable man yeah. immediately. Yeah. Johnny's down in the casino. Another thing. What, what, what is he doing What's going this? on there with that Johnny, man? out of nowhere, there's this drunk guy from, <laughs> from Nebraska, I'm assuming. He's totally a Midwestern guy. And he's loaded and he's just like, burr, burr, I'm drunk and I'm, I'm broke. And Johnny Johnny's like steps up to the plate and goes, hey, I was just going to spring for a couple of pot, you know, a couple drinks and yeah. do some gambling. You can, and then there are two young ladies. Yeah, like, look at these two birds next to us. Let's invite yeah. them over. Like, why? Like, <laughs> there's no point to that. There is no point. They go to the bar. And Johnny's keeping an eye out. Ben Morrow comes walking through the casino. Old Johnny Cool's like, <laughs> and then he just leaves drunky and the two two birds. Yeah. And the drunk guy's like, I hope you return soon because I have no money. <laughs> which, which if I'm the bartender at that point, I go, you're going that way. Yeah, exactly. you get, a, get away from my bar, you drunk. But we have no reason. To... Unnecessarily complicated. Because Johnny ends up going up in the elevator. gets patted down. Properly. Proper, proper, exactly. proper pat down in Vegas. And he shows up at Hines' office and Ben Morrow's there as well. And he walks in. Hines has a is a shotgun pointed at a him. double barrel shotgun. <laughs> just keeps that around. Just spins around in his chair. Both barrels is pointed right at Johnny. And there's some sort of discussion. The fight breaks out and then... Does he shoot Hines? I mean, I don't understand what happened to Hines. I'm assuming he's dead. No, they, he is dead because they keep referring to <laughs> it after the yeah. fact. Every time I watch that, I tried to figure out, like, maybe maybe Hines had a heart condition. <laughs> I mean, they don't explain it because he doesn't actually kill him unless just hitting him. Even though he works for Hines, who's yeah. re- reprehensible. You know, Ben seems like a decent person in and- the short time we get to know him. And then he breaks it down for John. This is the Rubicon for Johnny. Because Ben Morrow is the first person in this movie that you feel bad that he kills. You don't see anything bad about Morrow. You see everything, like, you hear about him, like, everybody's like, this guy's a saint, this guy's mm-hmm. this. Ben tells him, Kalini told me I was his brother. He's going to use you. I know I did bad things. And he goes, I've spent the rest of my life trying to do better. Yeah. 
I think Ben's character realizes, like, I'm finally going to pay for the sins. You, in movies, you always have to pay for your sins. It's not like real life. He knows Johnny Cool is going to kill him. And so he's going to stand there and he's like, listen, he's like, he's going to send you down the wrong path. And this was the point because I think the killing of Ben Morrow, that is eventually leads. It's the reason why Johnny lays where he is at the end of the movie. Ben because, was seeking redemption. Although I would say, why are you still working for a person like Obi Hines? <laughs> you're still working for the syndicate. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. So you're, you're never going to find redemption yeah. if you can't get off the path that took you down to the to sin. He doesn't where, fight Johnny. He doesn't struggle. He's like, this is my my call to witness. You yeah, know, I, I'm going to pay for what I've done. Doing this, you're going to head down the wrong way. Like. Believe in Kalini. He goes, I bet, he goes, after this, you have a couple of years to live. He goes, I'm going to give you the odds start, on it. Yep, start doing it. Start laying the odds. He starts talking and gambling talk. Johnny Cool shoots him. Just kills him. No scream from Ben Morrow. No, please don't do this. He, he realizes death has finally come for him. But I think Johnny crossing that Rubicon, I think Johnny realized he did the wrong thing. He did. The, the next comic interlude with a Las Vegas comedian. <laughs> he shows up and suddenly he's got like tourist outfit on. A, a, a Hawaiian shirt. shirt, a bunch of cameras. <laughs> and he's all like upbeat talking uh, to people. And they're like, hey, how'd you do? He's like, I did all right. Yeah. You know? Goes, and, did you I, win? Goes, I don't like, gamble. It's not my religion. It's against my religion. <laughs> um, why, why is that necessary? The bus driver, he was an actual comedian. Hank Henry was his name. And in that scene, if you look in the marquee of that casino in the background, his name's on the marquee. Great. Yeah, that's a great spot. That is that's a great spot. This guy and we both agreed he was basically Rodney Dangerfield before Rodney Dangerfield. Exactly. He looked. He had kind of the Google eyes of yep. Rodney Dangerfield, and he had that real kind of kind of quick patter that he had going. He's like, look at this, look at this crowd over here. Yeah. You know, because a policeman comes up. I have no idea. You know, this is so just weird to me that they find out these two casino guys have been murdered, and the cop says, "I'm going to go to that bus with the tourists." And I'm going to go see if the murderer's there. It served as comic relief for this movie. <laughs> it was. It was just so strange. And the cop goes down and somehow this becomes like photography central for yeah. Johnny. It's like he studied photography <laughs> with Kalini for two years. Yeah. That, that was part of his it's Eliza Doolittle. Yes. And cameras. You have to know Eliza Doolittle. <laughs> because the, the cop comes along kind of aggressively. He goes, hey, is that a Nikon? Yeah. <laughs> and Johnny's like, he's like, no. Starts speaking photography lingo. Odd. Murderers are always using the public transportation. That's that's something I've learned. And then we get to a pivotal scene because Johnny has now realized what he did to Ben Morrow is wrong. And he comes back to Dare and he says, listen, I'm going to go back home. This is not worth it. He said, I was less than nothing. I'm beginning to believe that I've been hoodwinked, that working for Kalini is wrong. Really good acting by Henry Selvin, I thought. Oh, Dare, she, she just like, listen. She bears her soul, and it's just tragic, but it's confusing to me yeah. because he wants to stop all the murdering, and then she starts saying, you have to finish what you started. So she's encouraging him to continue this murder spree. She said, finish what you started. Yeah. And she went on about how like something was unleashed inside of her. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where she mentioned just three days ago. All this has happened, like, it's only been three That's days. A lot. That is a lot and, of emotion for three days. And I don't think what she's feeling, at least inside of her, is love. I think she was what she, what she is, that the thrill of living. Lust. Yes. This brush with chaos. But she could easily walk away from him. And she does. He is at the crossroads, and he is convinced by her. And his line is very much like, like well, why not? Because yeah. he really has... He doesn't have anything left. No. He has nothing left. His identity is gone. 
he's realized that he didn't not even him. he has sinned because of killing Ben Morrow. And he's not even himself. Yeah, yeah. He, like he, said, he is less than nothing. All that's left inside him is a killer. That's it. But the best line is the way she looks at him at the end. Because this is what all men want. Their girlfriend, spouse, wife to look at them at one point and say, I need you. I need you right now. Yeah, yes. Her look and like, that's the look yeah. that you want. <laughs> and then right after that, suddenly this Leonard Crandall must die yeah. scheme comes out of victim, nowhere. Victim number four. Once yeah. again, one of these guys that had turned and helped exile Johnny Collini. An oil and, man yeah. who has oil interests in and, Madrid. We and, find out a lot about Leonard Crandall and his wife that is unnecessary. Johnny's got a bomb. Dare is totally cool, by the way, yeah. with this suitcase bomb in, in the, the car. car. <laughs> he whipped up the ingredients for a bomb. Like, he just went and got some dynamite. It was like... It's that two-year course in Kalini's, like, <laughs> how to be a syndicate killer in two years. It's like he's got this hat. He Attaché. Just, just reaches into a hat and pulls out whatever yeah. he needs. Suitcase bombs. So they're driving along, and Dare is just totally cool with this. He's got this bomb, and he's opening to set it, and he's like, we're going to, you know, i got to go blow a guy up. Okay, so they pull up to the, the back of this house, and... Once they get overly complicated. Like, yeah. the guy's swimming. Why don't you just shoot him? And the, the guy's in a pool. He's talking to his wife and his wife. They're they're divorced. And then she leaves. The kid, two boys come out. Little boys. Johnny, meanwhile, is telling her how he's going to set a timer. And then I don't know where he's going to put the suitcase. Like, dude is going to be like, why is there a suitcase in my yard? So... And, so the guy tells the kids, go get your swimsuits on. And Leonard Crandall's like throwing a little boat in. So at this point, he goes, my plan now is I'm going to kill him now. I'm just going to launch a suitcase <laughs> into the pool and blow him up. I mean, I like that scene because he like, he improvised like, I'm just going to blow him now. And he's like, toss that suitcase yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense. No, no, you went from like overly complicated to downright yeah. Way he could have just shot him, too. He could have done a lot of things, you know? <laughs> Johnny's sending her back to New York. This is key. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. The real Tonys. That's where they're going to meet. Put a pin in that. That's important. Dare, just she's, she's had her come to Jesus moment yes. where she goes, yikes. She oh, was accessory to murder. Absolutely. He says something like, uh, go get your hair done. Yeah. You know, just act normal. So she goes to a place. She doesn't have an appointment. Yeah. Lo and behold... She bumps into her old friend Susie. And Dara looks a little rough. Her hair is messed up and yeah. she looks a little freaked out. Looks like somebody who maybe, I don't know, was raped in yeah. the last couple days yeah. and then had her boyfriend blow up a guy in a pool. Yep. Maybe. <laughs> She's been through a couple of things. Susie is part of this Newport Beach upper class rich club. Very much the same age as Dare. And she's like, drive back to Newport with me. Yeah, and at first Dare is hesitant. But then she looks outside, and it's just a parking cop, but her car gets a ticket. And she realizes, oh, wait a second. I think there might be bomb materials in that car, and my name's <laughs> on it. So she goes. Boat party at Newport <laughs> Beach with the second kind of single, yeah. the B-bomb song yeah. by Johnny Worth. <laughs> it's called B-bomb. And it's it's just like kind of this swinging little Sammy Davis. Believe it or not, the main part of the whole song is be bomb, be bomb, be bomb. <laughs> yeah. It's like talking about nice things, and then be bomb, be bomb, be bomb. And look at that cat. Like although she's dancing the twist with a younger man, probably closer to her age. If you look at that, the whole rest of that group, they're all very old, very old. <laughs> and that clearly was done on purpose. I don't know why. To me, it's it's like a statement on shallowness. Yeah. That you're yeah. not marrying for love. You're marrying for security yeah. and money. 
Dara's letting it all out. She's in her cups. Why this is going place, Johnny Cool is back in New York. It's his final victim. Victim number five, Santangelo, Kojak, Telly Savalas. Telly Savalas' office is on the top floor of this building. He has a scheme where he's going to go up. He's a yeah. photographer. I think he's supposed to go up and get, get some nice shots yeah. of the city. The and, photography thing. I, know. I don't know if I don't know if a camera company was yeah. like an investor in this film. He goes out there and goes up on those the window washer cranes and he gets all the way to the top floor. It's a great scene because Telly Savalas is sitting there talking on the phone. He gets up and all of a sudden the music comes in and then you see Johnny Cool outside of the window with a gun and he just blows away Telly Savalas. Even though this movie is considered violent for the time period, you don't actually see a lot of people when they're shot. You don't see the squid packs exploding on their chest. And Telly Savalas has this great look. He's like, he gets shot. He's like, ah! He does <laughs> a great like look. grabs his stomach yeah. and he's like, buckles over. He's like, oh! I thought at first that he had bulletproof glass. Yeah. He was just scared. And then he'd go, ha-ha, Johnny Cool. Yeah. And I went, no, actually, he did die. He did die. And then so when you think about it, and you pointed this out, I think it's great, is he slowly took the, the window, washer. window washing sure. lift yeah. up, killed the guy, and then slow. Like, how does it get out of that? By the like, time you get down, there should be an army of police. NYPD should be all there. And he's just like slowly, <laughs> slowly going down. Then we go back, already searching the car, and they found parts bomb from making, Johnny's yeah. bomb. Her license, she rented the car. Yeah. So then we're back at a funeral. We both assume, I think, it's Murphy's yeah. funeral. So he was killed not even two days ago, and they're already having a funeral. Johnny comes to the funeral to tell the syndicate. Is this another 24-hour ultimatum? Is he still doing the 24? No, well, is this I the th- same 24? No, that's what he says. He's like, the 24-hour... This, this is where Michael myself had a hard time figuring out the time period. He's bouncing back and forth, yeah. like New York, L.A., and this is 1963. I think it takes a little bit longer than... But he always flies to United, though. You know that. You do. One, <laughs> United and Nikon must have, must have funneled some money into this one. He's telling them, it's, it's it. Yeah. Got, you know, He's still playing the Army thing, and... He wants them to know it's a taken over. The last thing you saw him in, he had just killed Santangelo. And he tells him the 24 hours is over. We, we're not sure. We think it's Murphy's funeral. But he says, listen, if you don't abide by me, you'll go the way. And he starts listing all his victims. including Murphy, Sa- Yeah, including Santangelo. And there's no reaction. So my assumption is, well, then this takes place a couple days afterwards that they know that Santangelo is dead. The timing on this one is really hard for me to figure out. Well, and it also brings up, you know, if if I was part of that syndicate... Yeah. Like, have well, some security at your funeral, right? The security, I, I might not even go. Yeah. You know? Like if, we're getting knocked they off. said, hey, he just went up and took a machine gun outside the window. Yeah. So then we're back with Dara, which I think was interesting. She wakes up the morning after the big night before. I'm just going to point out, she has no clothes on. She has no <laughs> so clothes she, on. It the was party a, a, was, a, it was a party. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and there's overlapping music. It's the music, like the Johnny Cool love theme, and be bomb, be bomb, be bomb, playing over each other. So she's kind of caught between the two worlds. She's been living with the Johnny Cool, and now she's back in her Newport Beach world. And these two are kind of overlapping, and it's very confusing for her. She's That's with Susie. I, yeah. she's, she sees the paper. It's about the death of Leonard Crandall. The paper points out that his two kids could have been killed. I don't know if that's her final straw, but Susie says, oh, we'll just get Bill to... T-. Like, everything is like, Bill takes care of everything. Bill will know what to do because men always know what to do. Yeah. Women women don't. That The idea of the kept women. But she makes a decision at that point. She's only been with him three days. 
she could easily cast aside him and go back to her beauty parlors, her boat parties in Newport Harbor, her New York dinners with older men. But she makes a decision. Instead of calling the police on Johnny, yeah, she calls Murphy's secretary, his lover. Miss Connolly. And tells her where Johnny's going to be. Seven yeah. o'clock, the real Tonys. It's interesting because right before that, when she has a great breakdown moment yeah. with Susie, she says, this guy's horrible. There's so much evil yeah. out there and terrible. But if he walked through that door, I would crawl to him and do whatever. So you know what? I'm going to have him killed. So in some ways, like she's no better than Colini or anyone else because she has such a flaw in her character. If this guy is out there, I'm always going to be tempted. So I need to have him killed, which is just really messed up. She calls Connolly, and that's it. They Pretty s- much a death sentence for yeah. Johnny. And she's just like Colini in Rome, the syndicate, where they're just using Johnny Cool. For what, whatever they want, they get their use out of him, and then that's it. He can be thrown away. Once again, he's just this peasant boy from the mountains of Sicily. He's not like us. Johnny shows up to that restaurant. And he has the final giant drink. He orders the best champagne in the house. Real happy. They're like, hey, yeah. put some champagne on ice. Yep. The best. And everybody's like, hey, Mr. Cool. Yeah. It's like you're all in on yeah. it. The lady that he thinks is there is actually Miss Connolly. And then there's the syndicate. Cromline and the goons show up. And they bash him, knock him out. Why have they waited to this point to do that? I mean, day one. It's been a, it's been a hectic three days yeah, for the syndicate, exactly. and I'm like, this could have been solved the night that he hit Cromline. They've got some twisted plans. They're very weird. They don't kill him. They no. take him to the weird room in a hospital. No. They put him in a straight jacket, and he's defiant to yeah. the end. And he keeps telling them, you know, I've got an army of people. You're all doing it. They're like, you got nobody. Your woman told us she turned you in, and then they go through. What are they going to do to him, you know? (laughs) So tell us. (laughs) So they are going to basically not feed him. They're not going to give him water until he starts giving them answers. I'm not sure what answers they're looking for, but when he does give answers, instead of giving water, they're going to give him really sweet wine. When he's hungry, they're going to give him salt fish. And they're just going to keep him there. I mean, I've watched this film no fewer than four times and I don't know what answers they seek because there's nothing to tell and maybe there's something that just dawned on me right now when Colini back in Rome says hey I'm going to polish you up I'm going to teach you at the end you'll be one of three people in the entire world who knows everything maybe this is what they're referring to Colini Johnny Clue's the third person number one as well tomorrow <laughs> but also if you're using someone just to use as a killer what why you- would you tell them stuff I think in no way was Colini ever going to turn over his kingdom. He was trying oh. to stay young forever. What we have told him, this attache model is commonly used by the syndicate. I need you to memorize it. This is made by Nikon, but it's a less expensive brand. But the parts are all Nikon. We're going to do like suitcase bombs 101. Like, I don't know what he had to reveal. That was weirdly pointless. And Johnny Cool, you're right, is defiant to the end. And that scene has a great transition because he's screaming. It's the end of his life. And it transitions to party music as we go back to Newport Beach for the final scene. The cops show up at the boat and Dare is in, uh, she's in a great outfit. She's got shorts. She has wonderful legs. Elizabeth Montgomery is beautiful. Bill goes to meet them. Bill knows what to do. So he goes over and just starts making stuff up, lying to the police. 
you know, make everything smoothed over for Dare. And the cops are like, well, we'd still like to talk to her. And he's like, well, you know, I'm an old white guy. I think, you know, my word is good. And Dare is at this point, she, she just goes, stop it. I'll tell you everything. And she leaves with the police. And I honestly think she'll get out of it. I, think I have with her no doubt her, in my mind yeah. she will not see a day in, in jail. She was probably back at that boat by the end of the day. I like this movie. I, I, I recommend it. There are things that we did find confusing. I don't know if the book would flush some of that out. It's got a nice little pace to it. It's got some great acting. Pretty interesting story. If you're just looking for an, for an old crime movie. Oh yeah, the dialogue's great. It has that... Rat Pack era, the, the soundtrack, even the like the ballads of Johnny Cool, even though it's really kind it's, of a sorry it's, ballad. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of, like Sammy Davis Jr. sings it, and I enjoy it. And everything uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, Sammy Davis Jr. is great, and you know, I, Sammy Khan might have been. They're like, hey, can you do a song? And he's like, well, this one has been turned down by a lot of other <laughs> movies. He's like, here you go. This is a. Pay-. I mean, everybody does some for a paycheck sometimes. It's not the best song, but the B bomb song is kind of fun. I like that they chose to shoot it in black and white. I think added to it a lot absolutely and i just have to talk about my one you know connection to this oh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> so the actor who played Cromline, one of the syndicate's goons his name is steven uh, steve peck uh, and i'm reading this from his imdb page in 1971 after starting a second dance studio in fullerton he launched angelo and vinci's restaurante so his dancers would have a place to eat right out of college i worked in brea right on the border in orange county with fullerton and we used to go and have dinner on a regular basis there. It's a great restaurant. It's very gaudy inside. And there's all these pictures of like old-timey actors, which I assume were like people who came and ate at the restaurant. Stephen Peck worked there. And one night he came out and said hi to everybody at the table. So that's my connection to Johnny Cool. Very nice. If you're in Fullerton, you should you know stop at that restaurant. It's Banger's Brewery in yeah, Las Vegas. This is the first thing I had. I hope it's not the last because this this was a tasty beer. The wheat beer with the pepper was a great idea. Yeah, I agree. Some, something kind of light, easy drinking, that fresh, just fresh pepper. It was so good. I always enjoy a beer that has a, a slightly different take on it. And this did. I, it was unexpected. I think it meshed with the movie well, too. Yeah, it did. Las uh, Vegas. Exactly. Las Vegas, Johnny Cool. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Beer and Bee Movies. If you like us, subscribe, like, and comment on our podcast. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. This is Jason. And I'm Michael. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we'll put it back. <laughs>